Coming up on Studios America, Justin Haskins has the scoop on the left's latest attacks on history and the Constitution. AOC proves yet again that when things go wrong, always play the victim. And tomorrow's finally the big day where we see if California can get rid of Gavin Newsom. Oh, I can't wait to find out. Let's recap the nauseating path we took to get here as we do the battle for California. Stu does America. Ah, yes, we may be only one day away from knowing if California will choose anyone else for governor. Anyone else. We'll take the guy from the Olympics or the lady from the Kardashians or both as our governor. Anyone else for governor than Gavin Newsom. We've had these uh, mugs on the site for a while. We initially started them because of the Gavin Newsom uh, recall, but they really work for anyone. Uh, When you have a terrible governor in your state, get your anyone else for governor merch. It's available at stewdoesmerch.com. So where are we with this race? Hmm. Well, the latest polls have not been as promising for the recall as some of the earlier polls. Let me give you uh, this. This is the latest one that just came out. New statewide poll of 1,000 registered voters, which had a margin of error of three points. Revealed 60% of voters are voting against the recall and 40% are voting to recall Newsom. This is the first inside California politics Emerson College poll that uh, has showed Newsom support at over 48% and shows the lowest support for the recall since March, according to Emerson College. Now, the uh, 538 graph of all of the results kind of gives you uh, a little tone of how the race has felt over the past few months. Uh, you see at the beginning, yeah, Newsom had a, a lead by you know, maybe 10, 15 points. It narrowed until early August, where it was tied pretty much in early August. Very, very close until about three weeks ago and then started to diverge. Uh, now the average uh, poll for uh, Gavin Newsom says 57.5% uh, of the vote will go for him to remain in office. Now, look. That is not an overwhelming margin. There's a couple things playing against Gavin Newsom here. Number one, you'd think the the energy behind this campaign, the people who got this thing started, are on the recall side of the election. Uh, you also have a situation where it's, you know, polling becomes... We all know that polling can miss from time to time. Okay, that's something we've covered on the show many, many times, though most people are more negative on polls than really they should be uh, given their performance. Sometimes they've been wrong. They've missed states, certain states pretty badly the last couple of elections when it comes to the presidency. But when you're talking about uh, highly polled states, most of the time. They've done a pretty good job as you go through history. They hit in the 90 percentile sort of range. Uh, It's just they're not perfect, and people always remember the misses. On the other hand, when you have primary polls, when you have off-year elections, when you have one-offs kind of like this, polling tends to be less reliable. And the fact that we have a, you know, only, only a few polls. I mean, this has not been a heavily polled election. We have a few polls here and there showing uh, Gavin Newsom opening up his lead, but I don't think all is lost. And remember, some of these votes were cast through the mail when these polls were a lot closer. What happens on Election Day? Who bothers to show up? Does this polling disparity maybe make some people who are maybe on the left but not really passionate about Gavin Newsom, maybe they stay home tomorrow? 
who knows? We'll see as this goes on and we'll have uh, coverage uh, tomorrow if we get some of the results uh, or certainly the next day. I will say to warn you, because sometimes people get a little worried about this. Mail-in voting is an interesting thing. I will say this. I, uh, I had a real estate property in, a, in another state. And I recently got a mail-in ballot for that state in a local election. And I thought to myself, I don't live in this state. I have never lived in this state. And the real estate property I had in that state, I no longer own. Yet I still got a mail-in ballot in Texas from this local area. Is that a good system for voting? Hmm. I will tell you this as well. Uh, We are going to see uh, if this race is close, it's going to drag on for a long time. Usually California, if you know anything about these, the way these voting results come in, and I have to watch this every year. It's my job to have all the spreadsheets out and all the nerdy projections as we're doing our election coverage. And we always know that millions of votes are coming in late from California because it takes forever for them to, care, to, to count their votes. So if this is close, we're not going to know by tomorrow. But that's just to kind of prepare you for this. What's what's interesting is that people are voting in California and they don't have all of the information of the latest breaking stories in this election. It's really kind of shocking when you think about it. For example, we talked to Dave Rubin last week about an uh, an, an interview he did with Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan, of course, the actress who was very uh, integral in the um, Harvey Weinstein downfall. She was one of his victims, uh, went to the press with her story and kind of started the whole ball rolling on a lot of not just Harvey Weinstein, but a lot of the Me Too stuff, particularly in Hollywood. Um, She outlined some of her uh, issues with Gavin Newsom. In a tweet thread, I want to give you a little bit of this. It's pretty interesting. We, you know, Dave Rubin talked about it as well. But just to outline, in case you haven't missed that interview from last week, it's worth going back and checking out. Um, she says that Gavin Newsom's wife actually called her and set up a meeting, which she assumed was something to do with, you know, uh, a project of some sort. Um, Rose um, McGowan canceled that meeting. That was June 29th, 2017, about I think six months before. The whole Harvey Weinstein thing broke. Jennifer Newsom called Rose directly and asked, what could David Boyce, uh, that's the uh, um, uh, attorney, what could Boyce Schiller do to make you happy? Now, David Boyce is a very famous attorney, but he's also the guy that was working for um, Harvey Weinstein. He was Harvey Weinstein's attorney, one of his defenders. And the accusation here from Rose McGowan is basically... Schiller, who is, I believe, I could be wrong, the cousin or I can't remember the exact relationship. There's a family relationship between Schiller and uh, Jennifer Newsom that friends of uh, that of Harvey Weinstein got the message to Gavin Newsom's wife and Newsom uh, through David Boyce and 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 their firm brought uh, a, a request to uh, uh, to uh, Rose McGowan to basically zip it and let's see what, how much money we can give you to shut up about about what happened to you. Now we know for a fact that Harvey Weinstein was doing this with a lot of people at the time. He was reaching out and saying, "Hey, like there's these people digging around. They want these stories to come out. 
those stories aren't going to come out, right? What can we do to make sure that the, that, that doesn't happen? That was kind of the, uh, the early Weinstein defense approach before the article came out. Well, the timeline works perfectly here. And you might say, well, you know, what does Rose McGowan's word mean? You might say, well, I didn't believe her on something else, or she kind of seemed a little crazy on Twitter that one time, or whatever you happen to think of her. The thing is, seemingly she actually, Gavin Newsom's wife, Jennifer, actually confirmed that she did this. Uh, She, another part of this um, uh, tweet thread, talks about December 18th, 2017, Jennifer Newsom, went into a Weinstein victims group and tried to justify, and there's, she has all the texts of her post, justify why she did, in fact, reach out to Rose uh, McGowan. She, of course, makes it sound much more innocuous than Rose believes it is. But certainly, certainly, this is kind of a big story, right? Not being covered by anybody. You're not hearing about it anywhere other than conservative media. Now, I remember Rose McGowan and all of her allegations pretty well last time. They were covered widely. Why not this time? Let's look at the, another story. We, uh, we played um, this for you last week. This is the situation. Larry Elder uh, on the campaign trail, and he gets accosted by a couple of people, one wearing a gorilla mask. Let's roll the tape. If you haven't seen this yet, you probably have at this point. She walks up behind. You see the pink hair uh, over Larry Elder's le- uh, left shoulder. She's on her bike. She throws the egg, just misses. Then the confrontation sort of breaks out. Larry Elder is walking away. The security guy comes up. A punch is thrown by the gorilla mask wearing uh, lady. Not particularly good punch, but it was a girly punch. Uh, then this guy uh, starts coming, calling uh, the security agent boy. Then the security agent seems to get hit with an egg himself. It's a total, it's a totally unbelievable scenario particularly because of the dynamics here right Uh, this is a black candidate walking through um, a california street uh, and gets accosted by someone wearing a gorilla mask a white person another white person yelling boy this is not normally something the media would overlook certainly if a democrat was was uh, the candidate there's no way they'd overlook it but the media isn't talking about this either and there's something important to learn here as to why We have to start by looking back at Hunter Biden. Uh, By the way, there's a new development in the Hunter Biden story. The Federal Election Commission has dismissed Republican accusations that Twitter violated election laws in October by blocking people from posting links to an unsubstantiated, which is amazing they're still using that word, unsubstantiated New York Times article about Joseph R. Biden Jr.'s son, Hunter Biden, in a decision that is likely to set a precedent for future cases involving social media sites and federal campaigns. Now, Whether you think it was illegal or not is not really the question I'm focusing on here. I don't know that it was illegal. You know, there's going to be lots of questions about that. Twitter is its own website, probably can do all sorts of things uh, that we're not comfortable with on on their site. You could always get off of their site, and I would recommend that highly for sanity reasons, having nothing to do with elections. Uh, But forget the legality of it for a second and acknowledge that that's what happened. They blocked links of a major story related to the son of the president of the United States that has all sorts of stuff about the president of the United States, as we're learning uh, as people are digging through uh, this laptop. And we just didn't get access to that information, even though now it's been proven to be that these are obviously authentic. Contrast that with, let's say, Nicholas Sandman. Remember old good old Nick 
Nick was standing there with a, he's got a smirk on his face, boys and girls. That's bad. And he's got a red MAGA hat. And there is a, an Indian guy who's yelling at him and he will not let him pass. Do you remember that whole story? Well, obviously that was not true. That is not what happened at all. But let's say it was for a second. Even if Nicholas Sandman, the entire story was smirking wise ass kid with a MAGA hat standing in front of a Native American because he knows, you know what, he's a white guy and he owns this country, not those Native Americans. MAGA land, that's what this is. Let's just say that was true for just a second. I'm not saying it is true, Nicholas. You don't need to sue me and take all of the money that you did off of CNN because they did not give these disclaimers. I'm just making this stuff up. That's not the case here. But even if it was the case, here's the thing. It would not be a news story. A wise-ass kid in a MAGA hat standing in front of a guy smirking is not a news story. Even if the worst telling of the story were true, it was not a news story. We know that worst telling of the story is not true, and yet it remained a news story leading the news for weeks on end. Uh, he's not part of a political family like Hunter Biden is. There's no relevance at all to the American people, to the election, to anything. If there was one random kid acting poorly, even though he wasn't acting, acting poorly. But tons and tons and tons of coverage. How about, uh, remember the whole NASCAR noose story? Oh my gosh, that was all over the place. Constantly a noose at NASCAR. Massive story. Now, sure, later on, we find out that it was just a rope for a garage door, but tons of coverage, tons of coverage, tons of coverage. How about the good old Central Park Karen story? Do you remember the lady with a dog off of her leash in the birding area of Central Park? This provided multiple New York Times front page stories, front page stories. Let's just say it went down exactly as believed when and reported initially that this white lady, this white Karen was trying to use race uh, to harass some random black guy in the park. That would be really bad. And, and she should apologize and she should maybe get in trouble and be harassed uh, by her friends about it and, and pestered, I should say, by her friends about it. Maybe maybe it's, it's even a bigger deal than that in her personal life. But is it a new, national news story that one lady did something bad in a park with, that didn't commit a crime, just did something bad in a park? But yet we got multiple New York Times front page stories and end to end coverage all over cable news. Did you know, though, that the story was not as all not at all as it was initially reported? Did you know that the guy went into the park intentionally looking for confrontations? Did you even know that? Did you know that he admitted it publicly before he even did it? He told people he was looking for people to harass in the park that did what she did with her dog. Did you know that she had that the guy in the story, not the woman, the guy had several complaints about him that he had threatened women in the park in the very same circumstance. And we know, of course, that the video was cut off. We didn't see what happened beforehand. We didn't see what happened afterhand uh, afterward. Do you know that the 911 recording proves that the woman was screaming because her cell phone was cutting out? Not because she was acting and trying to make this into some big racial incident. I will say this um, as a person who happens to do a podcast, a highly rated, ever growing, record setting podcast. I will tell you 
one of the perhaps the best episode of any podcast I've ever listened to is called The Real Story of the Central Park Karen. It's from Barry Weiss and her podcast. Honestly, it's incredibly good. You should go listen to that. Well, you've, oh, I've already got your listen now because you've already listened to this part of it. So you can just skip from now on if you really want to. But I, I'd, I'd appreciate it if you hung around, honestly. But it's a good, it's a great telling of that story. and goes through all the details, the tapes, all the, all the reports, the quotes, everything. But that story was all over the place. And nothing for the Larry Elder incident at all? Other than a couple sarcastic headlines in the, in the LA Times? Why is that not a major story? How do we not have every detail of who wore that gorilla mask and the, the person who threw the egg? How do we not know the bald guy? How do we not know everything about him? How do we not know their ties to organizations and politicians and activist groups? How do we not know uh, the exact words from every politician around needing to get on television and denounce what they did? Has Gavin Newsom been asked if he denounces that attack yet? Does he have to answer for it as every Republican would have to? How about Maxine Waters? This happened in her district. And remember, she's already on record encouraging this type of behavior against Republicans. If you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. Uh, I'd also like to welcome the, uh, the soundtrack from the pensive Washington Post band who was on site for that particular Maxine Waters speech. Maxine Waters should have to answer for that, right? That's the, those are the rules. That's how this works. How do we not have the coverage of Rose McGowan and her accusations? The media certainly covered her last set of allegations. Why don't we have comment from Gavin Newsom about what his wife admitted to doing? How do we not have comment from his wife on what she admitted that she, I mean, she did. I mean, I was going to say allegedly, but she said she did it. This is all part of a new strategy for the media. It goes back to the 2016 election. In their eyes, in the media's eyes, this is not what I'm thinking. This is what they were thinking. And they talked about it openly. In their eyes, they handed Trump the election because they covered stuff like the Hillary email scandal that didn't even matter. Why were we talking about that? Sure, they pushed back against it and said it wasn't a big deal and said there was Republican lies. But that drew more attention to the story. People heard their excuses and didn't buy them. And then Hillary lost. So they changed strategies. For 2020, when Hunter Biden starts happening right before an election, they just don't say anything. They don't report it. They block it from social media. They act as if none of it ever happened. Ignore, 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 deny till you die. This is the new strategy from the media. Previously, they would at least give cursory coverage with lots of excuses to a story that damaged a candidate close to an election. That way they could at least later on say that they covered it. But that's gone now. That's just totally gone. Now they just ignore the stories as they happen. They got a job to do. Gavin Newsom needs to stay in office. Maybe, you know, we can throw out a think piece out there after the election, which examines why we should have done things differently, or maybe even not at this point. The point is, make sure you're not costing a Democrat an election, no matter how slimy and awful that Democrat might be. Look at it this way. Who knows, media? Play your cards right, and maybe you will get an invite 
to that next French Laundry dinner party. It's crazy how fast the prices of just about everything are rising. Gas, groceries, clothes, pretty much everything. And all the experts are saying it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better because, you know, it is. I've been looking at all the way that I can personally cost. I'm sure you are as well. Where can you save cash? Something smart to do no matter what the environment is. Auto insurance is a great place to, to start because your auto insurance is probably too high. Start with Gabby. Starting with uh, Gabby uh, makes it so your, your experience shopping for auto insurance doesn't suck. Gabby does the things that you could do online yourself in a much shorter time and also competently because I could not do this on my own. Gabby uses your current policy, so your exact policy to compare your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, uh, Nationwide, Travelers, all the big ones. And they're going to do this one comparison with verifiable quotes not ballpark guesses. That doesn't help you at all. Because Gabby uses your current coverage, they don't mess it up. So you don't get like a cheaper price, but half the coverage and you don't realize you're not covered if something goes wrong. They're going to do better than your current coverage uh, or the same, or, uh, and they're going to get you a better price. Uh, and the, the good thing is they kind of give you an option here. Like, hey, maybe you have the best price. Good for you. They're not going to try to sell you different insurance just because uh, they could they could try to tell you that. Instead, they make sure that you uh, that your insurance uh, policy uh, is lined up with the best possible price and still gives you the same quality coverage that you have now. People who switch with Gabby save on average 80 bucks a month versus their current policy. 80 bucks a month. It's a lot of money. Uh, Gabby has been featured in TechCrunch, Forbes, USA Today. Start saving on your auto insurance today. Go to Gabby.com slash Stu to start saving. It's totally free. G-A-B-I.com slash Stu. Gabby.com slash Stu. Check it out. So happy to welcome into the studio Justin Haskins. He's the editorial director at the Heartland Institute and the editor-in-chief of StoppingSocialism.com. Justin, thanks for coming in. It's great to be back with you. Yeah, it's great to have you in the studio. Um, let me talk, let me start with vaccine mandates. I hope, yeah. by the way, you are, you are mandated to have the vaccine when you come on this program. So oh, I hope good. you're all set. Oh, good. Uh, we'll, check, we'll check your arm for little holes later on. <laughs> uh, what do you think about this? Because I, I, I look at the power, and I know you've done a lot of work in this area. Mm -hmm. The power <laughs> given to OSHA is like basically a complete blank check over all businesses. This is something that needs to get under control. We've been complaining about it for a long time. This administrative state is a real problem. Before we get to the specifics of, of this, you know, the vaccine part of this, that's really the underlying problem that no one's talking about. Agreed. It is so obvious to me that the vaccine mandate is wildly unconstitutional, <laughs> right. that that should be the starting point of all of the conversations. Mm -hmm. And yet we have this thing where people just kind of gloss over that. And instead they want to talk about vaccines and whether people should be getting vaccines and right. private business. That, that's secondary. It's illegal, I think <laughs> is the main thing. <laughs> that's a minor. I mean, can't we just start there? Yeah. It's illegal. There's nothing in the constitution at all which would even hint or suggest even slightly that the president of the United States could, through an executive agent or through any other means, mm -hmm. force people in some fashion or coerce people to get vaccinated or to do anything related to public health. I would argue the entire OSHA agency is unconstitutional <laughs> because I don't understand how this is not a 10th Amendment thing where states right. clearly have the right to regulate workplaces. 
that would seem to be one of those rights that are not explicitly stated in the other parts of the Constitution and reserved to the states and to the people. Mm -hmm. And yet, for some reason, nobody seems to care about any of that, and it's just perfectly fine. I've heard people talk about this case from the early 1900s called Jacobson, right, Mm -hmm. called Jacobson versus Massachusetts, that has nothing to do (laughs) with the federal government at all. That case is about a state law mandating. So again, that's a 10th Amendment thing. And Mm -hmm. if you read the court case, it's basically says when the states signed, agreed to sign on to the Constitution and become one big country, they didn't sacrifice their right to have these kinds of mandates. That has nothing to do with OSHA, which didn't exist, or the federal government, or anything like that. So again, where is the legal uh, foundation for even coming up with this? Uh, Forget about whether it's good or bad or anything like that. Can someone prove to me that it's legal? I think we should start there. Yeah. And I don't think anyone can. I don't think, think it's anyone, impossible. Well, I, I, look, you know, OSHA does exist, which I don't agree. I'm yes. with you on this. I don't, I don't think the federal government should have any role in these things. Um, but it does exist. And the statute creating it is basically a blank check. It says that anything that's necessary um, or appropriate to, to, to help public health, which is like anything. It's, it's, yes. It is written in a way that is almost impossible to um, uh, to to find a limiting principle like it is really open like that when you this winds through the courts how do you see this going well i would like to believe that it would it's eventually going to end up in the supreme court Mm -hmm. it has to because you will find a a appellate court somewhere that will say it's unconstitutional and undoubtedly you will find an appellate court somewhere that will say that's totally fine Mm -hmm. and so it has to go to the supreme court if that happens they have no choice because you can't have two separate interpretations of federal law so it will go to federal court uh, it will go to the Supreme Court, I believe. And then it's just anybody's guess at that point, yeah. which is pretty terrifying. Yeah. But that's that's where we're at. I think it's almost certain that the three hardcore liberals will vote and say it's perfectly fine mm-hmm. because the Constitution's a living and breathing document and blah, 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 blah. And Roberts will betray us like he always does. Yeah. And that will leave... 5-4. <laughs> <that> <laughs> right, that will leave it 5-4. And do we know about Kavanaugh? We don't know about, about Kavanaugh. Kavanaugh. That's the, I, mean, I the feel pretty card. confident, certainly in Alito and Thomas. Yes. I feel pretty confident in Gorsuch on this type of Me thing. Me too. I don't know about Kavanaugh. Uh, I, we are in, I don't know about Roberts. Uh, we are in that. It's a weird place we're in with the Supreme Court, though. I'm much more confident now than I was before Trump. Yes. Uh, well, <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. I I mean, mean, oh, and Amy Coney Barrett, of course. I right. Think right. I mean, if we didn't have if we didn't have these uh, Donald Trump as president of the United States and we had had at least two justices replaced mm-hmm. or three justices replaced by Hillary Clinton, I mean, this wouldn't even be a question as to what would be going on. This would automatically be rubber stamped. And I think that says something about the state of the country. When you're in a situation where your rights and freedoms and and all of this comes down to essentially one swing vote, that that's the tiny little thread that we have hanging on to our liberty, that's a real problem. I mean, that should just in and of itself be a giant red flag. Uh, so how does this come down? I don't think anybody knows, but I would lean in the direction of them saying no uh, because of the changes that occurred under Donald Trump in the Supreme Court. I think Kavanaugh and Gorsuch will go that way. Uh, Roberts, who knows? But even if Roberts w- did go the other way, it wouldn't matter as long as you get five others. So Yeah, and I, I, you know, it does feel to me that, that this overall subject needs to be something that is part of the conservative 
platform generally. The idea that there are things specifically in the Constitution, for example, trade, that is specifically assigned to Congress. And they're just like, yeah, the way we're going to handle this issue is to tell the president to do it. This sort of like reassignment of duties is a major problem structurally in our in our country, I think. And, and the administrative state is doing all the work that our elected officials are supposed to be doing. Yeah. And, you know, where this was uh, in, in some ways, it's not exactly the same, but where this was most tangible recently was at the state level where state legislatures essentially gave these super broad authorities many, many years ago, decades ago, to their governors Mm -hmm. to enact all sorts of policies and laws and emergencies, whatever that means. And look at what we're saying. And then then all of a sudden, those governors in in an emergency decided they were going to change election laws, they were going to force people to stay in their homes, do all kinds of things. Mm. And the legislature started saying, whoa, 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 in some states, we don't want this. But it didn't matter because you couldn't get rid of the emergency law that you put into place previously Mm. and the governor wasn't willing to sign the new one. So once you give away that authority, uh, it's really tough to get it back. And that authority was assigned to the legislature for a reason. It's there for a reason. We don't want tyrants. We don't want lazy legislators. We want them to actually stand up and vote and make difficult decisions. And they've gotten into this horrible habit of just assigning everything to a bureaucracy, whether it's the state or the federal level. And it is incredibly dangerous. And you're right. If uh, we need to spend more time talking about that, rolling those things back and getting back to the vision that the founding fathers originally had, where you didn't have these vast bureaucracies mm-hmm. and at the federal level making all of these decisions on our behalf. And you can still have a lot of this stuff in the states. I mean, you, yes. you can do all this in the states. It's just that's the way it's supposed to be designed. I think so much of so so much of this problem is because our education system is a catastrophe and we now have seemingly half the country working every day to undermine our our founding documents. Um, this situation with the National Archives is seemingly a, a, a piece of this. And it really is incredible what's happened. Can you can you walk people through this story? Yeah. So recently, the National Archives started putting up a warning label above everything in its digital archives. So when you go to the digital archives to look at, you know, the Bill of Rights or something like that, there would be a warning label at the top that would flash and say it's a harmful, this potentially harmful language here. It's a warning label. And so people started getting really upset about this because when they're, you know, with their 10 year old and they're on the computer and say, let's go look at the Bill of Rights. And they look at the Bill of Rights and it says potentially harmful language warning on the top of it. You know, that that upsets people. So Mm. they started asking questions about that and they started getting a lot of heat. And the National Archives came back and they said, look. Don't get upset about this. We we put that warning label above everything in the in the in the National Archives. Everything's got a warning label now, and like that, that's good. Like that's a good <laughs> right. thing. Like mm-hmm. that's a good excuse. Uh, but then on top, so but that caused me and a lot of other people to start looking into. Well, then why did you even come up with this? Where did you get this idea for a warning label? And it turns out, if you trace it back, it goes back to this task force on racism that they created at the National Archives. Because, of course, you have to so have a task. So much does, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And in this task force on racism, there's all sorts of really crazy stuff that is actually much, much worse than even this cra- stupid warning label thing. There's um, definitions in there of structural racism, which indicates that all in, or most institutions in America are dominate by, dominated by white people. Um, they specifically reference some pretty radical folks like uh, Ibram X. Kendi mm-hmm. is, is referenced in this Jeez. document. Um, they've got uh, uh, all sorts of things, uh, plans for redesigning the rotunda 
of the National Archives where you would go to see the Bill of Rights and things like that uh, to make it more, you know, inclusive and and less about white people. They're very specific about that. They don't want to laud white people too much. Um, and so it's full of this kind of thing. And it gives you the uh, the thing that bothers me the most about it is not just that there's you know, these things are ridiculous on, the, on their face um, and insulting in a lot of ways, uh, but also that it gives people the impression that these documents that have created our country, why should we listen to them if they're all just, you know, products of structural racism and a sure. culture of white supremacy and all of these other things? It totally undermines the value of these founding documents. I mean, the Bill of Rights shouldn't matter if it's just a product of racism. And it's a really easy argument to make that when you have the National Archives suggesting that that's mm. potentially the issue. Yeah. So that, that to me, it's, it's, it's part of a larger problem that we have of all of our institutions, which are supposedly designed to protect the Constitution, protect freedom, protect America, and at, they're all just undermining it. Uh, mm. The National Archives should be <laughs> the biggest promoter yes. of these documents in the whole country. Yeah. Their job should hinge on it. And yet instead they want to undermine it and turn it into some sort of woke leftism uh, that seems to be infiltrating every part of society. Yeah, I mean, there's this under there's this current, right, that the left has tried to portray for a long time and push through of instead of the way that I think is correct, which is the, the America is an incredible force for good in the world, the best country that's ever been around that brought freedom to billions of people, not to mention prosperity, uh, and, and that it has problems. And some of them are really serious and foundational, and some of those to be looked at in a real critical eye. I think that's totally fair. But a, essentially, a good thing that has bad parts. They want to say it's a bad thing that occasionally has good parts. And those good parts seemingly are only defined by voting for Democrats. That's right. Um, and that is underneath not only what we're seeing in the National Archives, but what, what we're seeing. I know you've talked and covered a lot about the ESG standard and the Great Reset. That is the current under all of this. And, and they force you to be a good member, standing member of society to view every issue through this prism. And the prism is, is getting stronger and stronger and wider and wider. Right. I, you know, you struggle for a way for a free society to push back on it. Yeah, it's, it's very, very difficult to do. And it's becoming increasingly more difficult because the institutions of society are all working against conservative thought. Yeah. They're all pushing in one direction. And there's a reason for that. And that reason is the Great Reset that you referenced b before. All of the ruling class elites, whether you're talking about corporations or banks, central banks, international institutions like the UN, WHO, et cetera, um, education, obviously, all of these things are all, they're all moving in one direction. And there is a reason for it. The primary reason for it is that there's a flood of money, money that's being printed by the truckload and just given to these elites and then circulated amongst these elites institutions. They're all getting super wealthy off of uh, the massive money printing that's been going on for a long time. It's why you see the stock market skyrocketing mm. during pandemics, which right. makes no sense. No. Why you see housing prices skyrocket in the midst of pandemics. Why you see all of these, uh, why, you, why you're seeing inflation. All of these things are related and interconnected to the Great Reset. And the one of the goals of the Great Reset is to rework society, use this money, this government printed money, to get institutions all moving in the right direction, and by the right direction I mean 
undermining, you know, uh, traditional American values, undermining uh, the family, undermining the Constitution and moving towards a more globalist, uh, liberal, progressive sort of view of the world where elites control things through a bureaucracy. And they use the COVID-19 pandemic as an initial justification for it. They're using the climate change crisis. We're all going to die from climate change as sort of the long term justification for it. And this is becoming increasingly more important as time goes on. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that the vast majority of things that are happening are happening because of this massive money printing and this great reset movement amongst the elites. Uh, And socialists uh, like the Bernie Sanders of the world and AOCs, I don't think they're buying it hook, line and sinker, but I don't think they're actually involved in any of this. Mm. I think that a lot of this sort of far left wing socialist groups, they don't really want these elite bankers and corporate people at Davos in charge of the world either. But they're buying into it because they're getting something in return. They're getting these left wing causes and they're getting ESG standards and all of this other stuff. And they're getting a woke national archives. And so they're happy about all of that. But at the end of the day, uh, the money is going to go to whomever the elites want it to go to. And so society can be reworked in any way that they want it to be reworked. And for right now, that's along left wing causes. In the future, it may not be along left wing causes. But ultimately, what we're seeing Mm. is the elites are increasingly taking over more of society and regular people are living by totally different rules. Uh, We saw that with COVID. That was the biggest example of that. Right. Uh, Does anyone think that, that their lives are comparable to Gavin Newsom's life or something like that? Of course not. And this is only going to get worse over time because of the, the power grab that is going on in, in Washington, D.C., and frankly, in, in capitals all over the world. Mm, we got to leave it there. Uh, Justin Haskins, uh, editorial director at the Heartland Institute and the editor-in-chief of StoppingSocialism.com. My next question was going to be, is it going to work? But unfortunately, we're out of time. So you, I don't have that to have well, on tape. Maybe for, next time. Maybe next time we'll solve all the world's problems. <laughs> yeah. Back in a second. Thanks. Yes, the defining characteristic of AOC is that she's always the victim in every situation. Uh, and today, no exception. She tweets this. In Washington, I, I usually know my questions of power are getting somewhere when the powerful stop referring to me as congresswoman and start referring to me as young lady instead. Imagine if every time someone referred to someone as young lady, they were asked, responded, to by being addressed with their age and gender, they'd be pretty upset if one responded with the old man, right? Yeah, because you would never do that. What the, why this kind of weird patronizing behavior is so accepted is beyond me. So there you go. That's uh, now I'm not patronizing at all talking about her like that. Just so you know, in case you were worried about it. Uh, this is the typical nonsense from AOC because Joe Manchin apparently doesn't want to spend three point five trillion dollars and called her something much more respectful than she deserves to be referred to as uh, we're supposed to feel bad for her. But here's the thing. This is just a a dream of mine. If I happen to have control of a Russian troll farm right now where I had like a million bot accounts I could do anything in the world with, the number one thing I would do is I would tweet AOC. I would tweet her congratulations. I would treat her encouragement. And I would say, young lady. No, I wouldn't say that. I would say, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you are doing an amazing job. Hold that line. 
Do not approve that infrastructure package unless you get that full $3.5 trillion. In fact, you deserve $4 trillion all the way to the end. I would just keep tweeting and tweeting and tweeting and tweeting it. Encourage her to stop this because, look, she was called young lady. And that's why AOC is a victim today. Do you know, um, do you know, it comes to that kind of part of the day where you're just like, I just got to have something to eat. It's like, I don't know, three o'clock in the afternoon. You know, dinner's still too far away. I want to have that little snack. You got to have a Built Bar around. Built Bars will solve that problem for you. They've got great, great flavors. Cookies and cream, salted caramel, double chocolate, mint brownie, coconut, so many more. And you can get a mixed box of nine of their flavors. Get two each. A box of 18, they've got 18 grams of protein, 180 calories or less, only four or five grams of sugar, four to five net carbs. You wouldn't know that by tasting them, though, because they taste incredible. Uh, my wife loves them. She says, chill them in the refrigerator, though. Got to do that. Built.com is the place to go. Use the promo code STU15, save 15% off your first order. The promo code is STU15 for 15% off at Built.com. Built.com. Make sure to take a second and rate and review this podcast. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. And you can always just throw a quick review in there like, you know, it's great. Whatever. I don't care. Whatever you want to put in there. Or you can spend time on it like this person did. Inspirational. One day I went to Taco Bell after you and Jeffy were talking about a new taco. It was amazing. My order number was 18. And my hot sauce said, first of all, on it. And I then knew I was... Where I, I was where I needed to be and listening to the right podcast. Been listening every day since. Love the show. I do think Taco Bell should sponsor your show or at least let you eat for free like forever. That is a very good point. And only communism would stop that from happening. So yeah, it's up to you, Taco Bell. Are you communists or not? I mean, I guess that's the question. Uh, you can just send the uh, nacho fries uh, to Mercury Radio Arts, Irving, Texas. Back in a second. take you back in time february 2020 this little stupid show just getting off the ground and then we decided to start a pandemic to get our ratings up and that worked out really well so here we are now 18 months later or so and still one of my favorite shows we've ever done is a show called Stu does colin kaepernick that's from a while ago and the point of it was yes we all know colin kaepernick's a douche but like do we all remember that he also sucked at playing quarterback we went through his entire career and showed you how terrible it was. And one of my favorite things I try to draw people's attention to is this one little morsel of a fact in that the narrative is Colin Kaepernick was a good quarterback who lost his job because he took a knee. That's the media narrative. But it's not true. And now we've put the truth on a T-shirt just for you. Here it is. It says, always remember, before Colin Kaepernick took a knee, he lost his job to Blaine Gabbert. It's true. Before he ever took a knee, none of the police protesting, none of the whining about how America sucks. He lost his job because he was bad at throwing the ball. He didn't know how to play football very well, so he lost his job to Blaine Gabbert. Who, by the way, then went on to win a Super Bowl. So there you go. Uh, what did Colin Kaepernick do? He's just making millions of dollars torturing the country he lives in. You can go to stewdoesmerch.com to pick that up. By the way, my, my sports week was amazing. The Blue Jays won like all their games. The Cowboys lost. The Eagles won. I mean, this I'm in paradise right now. Your favorite Blue Jays slash Eagles team. 
person on 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 podcast is is having a good week. I mean, the country's falling apart, but my sports teams are doing well.